Hi, I'm Rita Savasco from Rooted in Language. I'm really happy to uh, welcome you to our podcast. I'm talking to Rachel Slezak, who is a teacher in Nashville, Tennessee. She teaches support ed in Nashville, Tennessee at a high school called Lead Southeast. So Rachel's here to talk to us today about the concept of summer slide, what is it, and what we can do about it. But what is fun about talking to Rachel today is we're going to delve into the area of math and science, something I don't talk about very much in this language arts community that I'm a part of. Um, but Rachel is here to um, give us some ideas, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what she has to say. So hello, Rachel. Hello, thank you so much for having me. This is gonna be so fun. Okay, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and the school you teach at? Yeah, okay, so I've been teaching for seven or eight years, hard to keep track. Um, I started off as a math teacher. So I taught math at um, a school in Charlotte, North Carolina my first year in the 2011-2012 school year. Um, after that, I spent um, five years at a very small independent school in um, right outside of uh, Washington, D.C. So at that school, um, we hadn't been accredited yet when I first joined, so I really identify with all of you homeschool educators just because you were really scrappy and like not a quote unquote real school. <laughs> so um, I had so much freedom. I could pretty much teach them wherever I felt like teaching. Um, which is a little bit different from where I'm currently at. Um, so after spending the six years teaching math, um, I wanted to get my master's in special education, um, or as we call it in Tennessee, exceptional education, unclear on why there's so many different terms for that, but um, that's what we call it here. So now I'm teaching at a charter school in Southeastern Nashville. Um, it's one of two high schools in my charter network, um, which is a small, just Nashville-based network. Um, and my student body is extremely diverse. We've got kids from Central America and Mexico. We've got um, a significant population of kids from Egypt um, struggling to learn Arabic this summer. That's my goal. Um, and also, yeah, it's been really hard, but really fun. Um, I can't wait to bother them by like overhearing their conversations. Um, <laughs> And so my student body is like really very, very diverse, really fun to work with. Um, and I feel really like fortunate that I've had the opportunity to have so many different types of interactions with students, different interactions with families and different types of um, teaching in my short career. Yeah, great. Um, so this is meaningful to us always. Um, but especially right now, um, at the time we're recording this podcast, our country is um, having, we've gone through some rioting, uh, seems to be settling down into some peaceful protesting, but certainly we've opened dialogue, um, ongoing dialogue, but we've reopened dialogue about what we want our country to look like. And I always feel like education and schools become this microcosm of all of our um, uh, cultural issues, right? And so I was wondering, um, I'm seeing a lot going out in my networks um, about how can we be more diverse? How are we, what, how are we doing? What are we unaware of? 
What do we need? What, what do we need to listen to? Um, how can we challenge ourselves, right? Always, always challenging ourselves. And so I was wondering what kind of dialogue is going on in your world right now? Yeah, so I've been really fortunate um, in the network that I'm in. Our CEO is a black man from North Nashville and he was so open. He hosted a town hall on yesterday, um, just the weekend after everything that had happened with all of the protests and um, just really opened the floor and was really open to listening to suggestions. So a few of us um, have actually decided to take that further and create a committee that's going to keep exploring these ideas throughout the year. We didn't want it to just be a one-time, let's have a conversation. Um, so what we're looking at specifically is my student body is mostly like black and brown students and our discipline system, we do have to do a lot of like keeping, the, the discipline system is designed in order to like ensure compliance from these kids and it doesn't foster creativity. It's not very respectful. Um, and just to be like not that specific about it, it feels icky to just be constantly telling these kids what to do. Um, and it looks very much like um, we're pushing them into a direction that we don't necessarily want to go in in light of all these conversations about police brutality. Um, one of the other educators in our town hall said, compliance isn't going to save them. And it's not, it's really not. We need to teach them how to think for themselves and we can't constantly be ensuring like you have to do this. It doesn't feel right and it's not going to work. So we really want to rethink how we are um, managing our classrooms and we want to open that conversation throughout the school year, which will be really interesting. Um, but here in Nashville, we just had this really wonderful, giant, peaceful protest that was organized by five teenage girls. I so, love that. Yeah, so as teachers, we're all so, so proud of the kids in Nashville and like all the good work that they're doing. Um, I feel like as teachers, again, we keep trying to tell them what to do, but like I feel like sometimes we just need to get out of their way because they know so much um, and they have so much to offer. So I'm really, and even though all this stuff is happening that is so uh, scary and negative, I do feel so hopeful just because of these kids, like, all the good yeah. stuff. Right. I, I, I do too. I love talking to my students about this and hearing their perspectives and um, really, you know, delving into their ideas and their concept of solutions and what their worries are. I mean, it's just so important to be having these conversations all the way around. We have um, a philosophy here we call um, learning through relationship, you know, that we really accept that a little baby has to have relationship in order to grow and thrive and learn, right? And then we accept that the toddler, preschooler has to have this relationship. And then we kind of, as education progresses, we get less cuddly, right? We get less relationship oriented. And, and yet, what I find, I work with a lot of high school kids, you know, on stuff they're not good at, right? Stuff that isn't really fun for them. And, you know, the truth is, unless they like me and they know I like them, they're not going to do it for me, you know? And I'm in a situation where, you know, it's one-on-one. -on -one, I'm just not going to be punitive about it, you know? So really my only big motivator is hey, I care about you. Do you care about this? Because I care about this. Let's get to it, you know? And and I think in the end, that's maybe all we have anyway. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's going to last. 
yeah, mm-hmm. I think leveraging relationships, that's also something we talked about as a school that I wanted to learn more on. Yeah. Right, right. Even when, you know, disciplinary action is taken, I think when kids know that you care about them and you want the best for them and you want success for them and that you're maybe just protecting the other kids right now yeah. from them, um, <laughs> still, still, there's, there's a difference in those kinds of messages, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we want it to become, we want everyone to stay safe. We want everyone to feel welcome and safe versus I'm mad at you. So you're in trouble. With the- yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, I just love that you're working on that and you've taken that on. So, well, I want to get to our topic. I think it's really cool. The school that you're in sounds like a great environment for you. Um, by the way, what is the grade range you have taught so far? And then what grade range maybe gets represented by the fact that you are a special ed support educator? Yes. Okay. So I currently teach 9th, 10th, and 11th graders. Our school is next year will be the first year with seniors because we're slowly growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I currently teach. I have taught 12th graders in the past. Um, I did my student teaching in seventh grade. Um, but since I do have kids who are a little bit behind, I have taught content that is as low as like third, fourth grade math level um, because that's what they need. And honestly, like most high school math is really, really reliant on those basic stuff. Like if you don't understand fractions, it's going to be really tough to do exponent rules. But once you understand this fraction, easy. So yes. I do a lot of work with fractions and like other third grade concepts. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. It's always the foundational stuff, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And like they didn't, it's really, really abundantly clear that like whoever was helping them at that time, like, well, it's fine. Let's just move on. Yeah, right. Well, you just don't know. You know, sometimes the, the material is just not presented in their timeline. They really needed more time and didn't get it you know, and, and that's what you never know, but you do have kids from all over. So you also don't know what their educational background was. Right. But no matter what, no matter what high level stuff we're going to be talking about today, it's always built on these foundational pieces of knowledge. So we always are working on that. Right. (laughs) Um, And so anything that we talk about can maybe get, you know, taken down to that foundational level as well. So I want to start with this conversation about summer slide. I want to talk about what to do this summer because uh, summer slide is a thing uh, that we talk about in the field of education. So why don't you tell us a little bit what is summer slide? Why is it especially critical for the struggling learner? And why is it so important this summer? Yeah, so this summer, to start with the last question first, like this summer has kind of, in some ways, it's been summer since March because we haven't been face to face. And as we were just, just discussing, those relationships are so, so key. There, I have specific students that I have them in mind. I'm like seeing them in my mind's eye who they do so much more work when I am sitting there next to them saying, hey, Daniel, you can do this. Like, hey, Trenton, let's be focused on this. Like, those kids don't have me or like someone else sitting next to them right now. Nobody's motivating them. So they haven't been getting as much done. They just haven't. Even if I've been assigning them stuff remotely, it hasn't been the same at all because they haven't been physically in the school building. Um, and they know that even if they aren't saying like the word summer slide like 
I definitely have students who have said to me, I'm concerned that I'm not going to remember what we did in the fall, next fall. Like, you may not, you really may not. So this summer is especially critical because the summer has been very long. And even in the best case scenario, we still have several weeks left without really being face-to-face with our kids. So that's this year, why this is so important. Um, it's really, really tough for the students that we're working with because a lot of them are already behind. Um, some of my students are behind because they had an interruption in their formal education, um, such as if they moved from a country where people don't speak English, they either might have missed education while they were coming to the United States, or maybe they just didn't understand a single word that was said to them when they first came here. I'm extremely sympathetic to that as I'm currently trying to learn Arabic. If someone was trying to teach me how to add, I just don't think I would get much out of it. So that might be some of the causes, but then also just sometimes stuff is like you're saying presented so quickly that like if someone has something that prevents them from getting it in that moment, it's like everything builds on it and they're just lost and sometimes. So if some of my students um, they are already working a few grade levels behind, um, and all year they've been presented with material that's too hard, that's too hard, that's too hard, and they're getting more behind. Um, so then they have a summer off of just not thinking about math whatsoever, <laughs> and uh, they might not remember it. So all that is to say, the so summer slide is just when um, the things that you might have mastered during the school year might not be remembered when the summer comes to a close. Right, right. I, I like the analogy. So Rachel and I know each other um, various ways, but one of the ways is we um, exercise together online during this whole COVID thing. So that's been fun. But let me tell you, this girl's buff. And, you know, I at, when I'm like doing my presses with my maybe 15 pound weight, she's doing bilateral presses and I'm doing unilateral ones, right? She's doing bilateral ones with what, 40s? Okay. So... <clears throat> Am I exaggerating? Just a little bit, but I'll okay. take it. <laughs> okay, you'll take it. All right. Anyway, point being, if I stop doing my presses and Rachel stops doing her presses for, say, three months, say, say 10 weeks, right? Yeah. Um, so she's already stronger than me and younger, by the way. But let's, you know, let's just go with strength. Like her core strength is already better than mine. And we both don't do anything for 10 weeks. Who's going to lose the most in 10 weeks, right? Like we can see it in the physical world that if you're that much stronger and it's that much more a part of who you are and what you know and, and how you function, right? You're gonna, you know, you need to keep going too, but your losses are gonna be not quite as great. That foundation that you already have is gonna keep you going. But if you are not as strong, right, and you haven't built up quite the foundation yet, and you're a struggling learner, right, then that 10 weeks is going to have even a bigger regression. And that's the slide, right? So when we talk about slide, we kind of know everybody does it, but we're really, really concerned about the kids who struggle. Right. I love that metaphor. That's really, that's really, really helpful. Yeah. And also, 
people who are really strong and can lift a lot of weight and kids who are really good at school, like they love it. It becomes reinforcing for them. They're like, you know what sounds so fun right now? I'm going to read a book. <laughs> Our kids are not necessarily going to do that. <laughs> like that doesn't sound fun for them. Right. Um, so it's probably not. Gonna right. Right. And so, so I love you said we're going to read a book because I know in my world, it was very easy to come up with hey, we'll have a library program. We'll still do read-alouds. You'll still do some independent writing. Let's keep journals, right? There was all this reading, writing stuff that I could figure out. But when it came to math, I was like, okay, well, I got this workbook here. Let's do some math facts and do it for 20 minutes, you know, three times a week and good. You know, we have our flashcards, right? I never kind of knew, what could I do? And so enter Rachel. I love thinking about this stuff. Um, so I have a couple project ideas that um, kids can really do at any time. You don't need any specific special equipment, um, especially with the first one. Um, so look at the first one. The first one is a data analysis project. So it could you could gear it more towards science or math. Um, here's basically there's four phases of this project. Um, kind of five. The first one is kind of based on their prior knowledge and how old this student is, what grade level they're in. Um, before I assign anything, I really want to gauge um, their current level of knowledge or prior knowledge. So with data analysis, you might want to spend some time reviewing um, different types of uh, data displays. So like bar graphs, scatter plot, etc. Especially with all of the news about uh, COVID-19 lately, it's not difficult to find kind of relevant examples of uh, data display. Um, this is something we talked about at my school. We couldn't decide if it was better to really discuss with the students um, what the numbers mean or if we thought it might be too scary because seeing all of the numbers kind of climb up on the graph is a little bit dis discouraging, a little bit, a little scary. So we decided to make that optional. Um, we didn't make all of them discuss it with us. But like what I was saying to the other teachers, I was like, if they're going to discuss COVID-19 numbers, I would rather they do it with me. You know, <laughs> kind of like, mm -hmm. um, just because there's so much bad information out there. So that's what we did first. So first, before doing anything else, we looked at examples of graphs that already existed. Um, the New York Times has a really great um, list of graphs that you can look at um, that's like specifically for um, educational purposes but honestly you don't have to look too hard to find data displays. Ah so how do you read how do you access that? Um, it's on the New York Times website I feel like I can't remember the exact web address but I can easily easily send that to you. Okay um, great. Yeah I found that um, really 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 helpful. And it's for yeah. educators? Yeah mm -hmm. oh, nice. I think anyone can access it yeah um, so there's like a specific, there was one that was specific to COVID and then there was one that's just like, here's just a bunch of graphs. So, mm -hmm. so that's really, really helpful. Um, in terms of different types of data displays, some of those are a little bit complicated, maybe for younger students or students on the lower level. Um, but those students, you can find examples of bar graphs and like even young, young kids um, can tell the difference between like that is a small bar, that means less. Like this is a big one, that means more. So teaching them that type of relationship. Right, pie graphs are easier. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I was thinking like pie charts, 
Oh, pie charts. Sorry. <laughs> They're not graphs. <laughs> you know, call it whatever. It looks the same. <laughs> yeah. So plenty of real life examples to look at. So before having them create anything, um, making sure that they understand um, what a graph is and like what type of information it's conveying and the different types and how they are used to convey different types of information. Um, then the next step would be to um, not just to look at these graphs, but to discuss them. Um, so to really figure out what is this telling us? Um, and this could also be a really good way to incorporate some writing. I always love to be as cross-curricular as humanly possible. Um, so taking a graph and being able to describe it is a really, really good practice. Um, because you have to be using a lot of that technical vocabulary. You have to use um, the words for the axis or the um, different units that are being displayed in there. So I think it's really good practice not just to look at a graph, but also to discuss like, all of its features. Um, so really looking at a graph and really looking at a data display is a great, great chance to um, actually learn from it because those are really great examples. Right. And let's not forget conversation skills, right? That explaining what do I see, especially um, in a second language can be difficult, uh, certainly, you know, with limited vocabulary. But for all of us, you know, just constantly building up our, our verbal skills is an important piece too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It is so, so helpful to have like a visual in front of you to have something to talk about and something to look at and notice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. About it. yeah. That's perfect. So then after that, students would collect their own data about their own experience. Um, so we gave this to some of our students. Um, we gave this to the ninth graders um, who were so sweet. And a lot of them were confined to their homes at the time. So their graphs were about um, the random objects in their room. One of the girls made a bar graph about like the different objects that were in her room. Um, one of my boys made a graph about how many video games he was playing each day. Um, a lot of stuff like that. I gave them an example where I like tracked the locations of my cats. Um, and I made a graph for each of the cats. It was like, okay, this cat has been in this spot for a really long time, but this cat likes to move around a little bit more. So <laughs> really like making it relevant to them. Um, oh, interesting. I expected like, you know, we were gonna be doing this big unit on, I don't know, you know, birds in my backyard and here it is, you know, this funny stuff in their lives. What a great idea. Yeah. feels less like school, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, I feel like if you're in school, like if you're, if the kids are able to like go out and experience the world and collect specific data, that's a great, great, great project. Um, but opening it up to them made it, I think a little bit more culturally relevant, where we're like, no matter what you're doing, even if it's just playing video games or looking at random stuff, it's math, you're doing math right now. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, I like that. And it kind of, instead of saying, oh, you know, like, well, what you're doing doesn't count. We have to find something that counts, right? Which is not what we want to convey in that situation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And that will help them make the connection. If they're making a graph about something that's happening in their everyday life, if they're looking at a graph that's not like on a worksheet, but that's in like a news source that their parents already looked at, um, 
then they're more likely to make a connection later on. Um, I think in order to understand any concept, it's really nice to know why you want to learn it. And like data can be used to display anything. Anything can be data. So I think it's really, it was really nice to have it open-ended for them so that they could incorporate anything in their data. I love but, it. I mean, it can also be related to something else that they're studying. Like they're reading a book about um, a different topic, then they can make a graph about that. It can really connect to anything, which is why it's so fun. <laughs> okay, so I got to ask you. So how did you set up a data collection of your cats? Because <laughs> yeah. I think I actually need, you know, because this isn't my brain, right? I need like, okay, I need a specific how like what did did you like constantly follow one cat did you just periodically check in how did this go yeah it was the periodically check-in so i did <laughs> what's called a momentary time sample so like every 15 minutes i would record where the cats were yeah in my master's program we did a, i took a whole class on uh data collection for behavior analysis um, and I do use it on the kids sometimes, but it's really fun for random projects like this. So I, every 15 minutes I would like record at that time I had three cats. Now I have four, which is a whole nother podcast topic. But so at the time I had three cats and like every 15 minutes I would put, I would write down where they were. And then I just made like a little frequency table. Of, like, Well, Stanley is outside like this many times. Olive has been sitting on the couch this many times. So interesting. Okay, so hold on. I'm still wanting some details here. So was it every 15 minutes for one day? Was it only your late waking hours, or did you stay up all night? <laughs> <laughs> that is such an interesting question. So my data was very skewed. Um, I just did it during my working hours because you know I figured this graph was an example for the children, so therefore it was work even though it was just a graph about cats. Um, yeah. So I confined it to my working hours of eight to four. Um, but that definitely gave me different data because I don't let the cats out at night. Mm -hmm. So mm. one cat who goes outside a lot, he was right. inside. Um, and the cats have different nighttime positions. So it would have been a different graph if I wouldn't have confined it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. interesting. And did you do it just one day? I did it for, I think, three days. Three days. Um, but that's truly because at the time I was not leaving the house that much. Mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Nor were your students at the time. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to look back on, if I do this project again, I feel like they'll be able to collect data on like, other stuff. But like the, just like, it was such a time capsule to have a graph of like, I spent from this hour to this hour playing video games and this hour to like, just nice. like graphs of like, Staying in your house, it's just such a time capsule. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, I think even about how I'll say to kids, you know, how much in a day do you think you read? How often in a day do you think you write? And, you know, they, I think they're kind of exaggerating it, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> wouldn't it be interesting if we actually took data on that, you know, and then, you know, maybe set some goals from there. So, yeah, I mean, it's true. We all kind of think, well, it's like, you know, dieting when you write down what you actually eat all day versus what you think you've eaten all day, right? They, we, they always say that. Check the data, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You can't set goals unless you have a baseline. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you've, you've, you've analyzed, you've tapped into prior knowledge, you've looked at and discussed charts, 
You've collected data about your experience. Now what? Yeah, then they just made their own graph. Um, that part was a lot of creativity on display also. Um, we gave them a list of different options, but I think it could be pretty open-ended, um, especially if you already have all the examples. Um, I think the hardest part of any project would be, okay, now do it. But like, what does that mean for them? So I think yeah. having a template of like, here is a type of graph that you've already looked at, make your graph look like this. And mm -hmm. that has, has to be a little bit more individualized because of the difference in the type of data that they have. Right. So, so someone like me would have to work kind of hard to really know my templates and then have a sense of given their data, what kind might work. So that's where the teacher really comes in and supports. Yeah, I think it was, I think that, um, yeah, either, either is being there to say like, oh, let's talk about, let's have a conversation about like what you would do with this, um, or giving really specific, like you would use this graph in this situation, this graph in this situation, giving them like a menu of different types of graphs mm -hmm. um, would be another option. Yeah. Okay. How cool. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, and ideally, I would want them to look at each other's graphs and draw conclusions from them um, to add in that little social piece, a little bit more opportunity for discussion. Um, it was hard to do remotely, but that would be ideal. Did they look at yours with your cats? Yeah, I posted it. I got one comment like, is that, he was like, what is, is that what you spend your time doing? <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> that's what you spend your time doing too now like <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it okay so many things in life you know that we say you know like you know i just think about i feel like i'm the only one who empties the trash right or something you know like pick anything right um or i feel like all i do is mow the lawn or i swear weeds grow in this patch more than in this patch right but but we don't actually take data on that so it's just kind of a funny thought. Yeah. Ooh, Where do I the weeds grow more, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting because some of the kids are like, I don't know what I'm curious about. I don't know. But I wonder if you're like, ask your parents what they're curious about. Like, ask your parents what questions they have and they can do it off of that. Yeah. I think that other people... Or spend a day in your house just listening to people. Make these claims. Yeah and think is that claim real right it's interesting yeah very interesting idea yeah right there they're taking data what are all the things we say that we actually don't know whether it's true or not very good okay well i'm hoping um to have you back so that we can talk about another project that you have for us um i love this one i see lots of potential for um, fun, humor, which I always love, right? You know, uh, I, I did have a student once I was complaining because I bought a used car. And right now, if you, and I swear this is true, even though here's a claim, uh, <laughs> although this student did give me some data, um, <laughs> that I, that when I went to look for a used car, my only choices were white. And I've never wanted a white car. I have a white car. And I spent the whole first year owning this white car complaining that every car in the parking lot was white. So I would have told you that nine out of 10 cars are white in America. And um, 
he and and because especially if you buy a used car and so this boy actually was doing a, a project where he was collecting data on the most common colors of cars wow i know and guess what i was right white is really up there <laughs> no idea i know white i think white gray and black we're not very colorful as a country right um but <laughs> But um, it is interesting. I think I know white and gray were definitely up there because I laughed because my husband's <laughs> car was gray. Like we're so boring, you know. But um, but uh, I always wanted a fun colored car, and you know, when you buy a used car, you don't pick color, you know. So anyway, uh, he actually did the data and got back with me about it. So you know, I think that's funny. If we just listening to conversations, what would you hear, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess the reason that so many used cars are white is because so many rental cars are white. I think that's one of the things I heard was possibly in so many business, you know, cars. All those are being sold as used cars. Yeah. It's a hypothesis. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hypothesis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we constantly repeat information we don't actually know, don't we? So, so thank you, Rachel, for giving us a great idea. Let's do this again and talk about your next idea, which I can't wait to hear. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye.